Well, welcome. Welcome to Canyon Hills. Welcome to Easter here at Canyon Hills. We're just delighted, and I'm delighted to see each one of you here today. And may God just bless you and speak to you in a special way today. Uh, just uh, before we begin, uh, take a moment to find your worship flyer on the back side. There's an outline. You can kind of fill in the blanks, or you can doodle or draw pictures of me if you'd like to. But uh, give you something to write on during the service. And if you have a basket of pins underneath your chair right there on the aisle, would you pick up those pins and pass those down uh, to those near you? And uh, so they can kind of fill in the blanks as we go. And uh, if you have a name tag in there, uh, in that uh, little basket, just go ahead and write your name and put your name on that tag. Uh, we'd like to be the friendliest church around. And the best way to do that is be able to call each other by name. And so uh, go ahead and put on a name tag if you'd like. Great to have each one of you here. And just before I share God's word with you this morning, we'd like to invite our Juarez team. We have a team that's going on mission to Juarez, Mexico once again. And I'm going to invite them to come up and we're going to pray for them as they take off uh, to minister to our sister church in Juarez, Mexico. You know, Juarez, Mexico has been one of the most dangerous cities in the world. And yet God is doing a work down there. And uh, through the last few years, it's been a dangerous time. And God has just kept sending us and sending us. And he's doing a work through our sister church that's just incredible. They are now averaging over 300 people. They've outgrown their sanctuary. And one of our previous trips, we built the foundation for it's going to be their new sanctuary and a gymnasium. And uh, so on this trip, this crew gets to go down and start pouring the slab for that uh, new sanctuary and gym. And uh, they're also going to be training some leaders. They're going to be working with the children. And uh, we, we are just so excited for what God is doing in our sister church. But as we send this team, we want to just ask God's blessing and protection on them once again. And it just thrills my heart. Uh, some of these are taking vacation days to go do this. They're, they're paying their own way to go do this. This is just a sacrifice of time and funds because they want to be tools in the hands of God. And uh, I'm choked up already. And they just want to be used of God to bless the work there and our, our brothers and sisters in Christ there uh, who are just struggling with, with so much less than what we have. And so let's send them off. Would you just stretch out your hands and let's just kind of lay hands on them and bless them as they go. Father, we thank you for this team. Lord, their sacrifice of time and funds and just the hard work that they're going to put out. Lord, we just ask that you bless them, that you protect them, that you keep them healthy, that, Lord, you cover them with your hand and put your words in their mouths, that, Lord, as they speak with people and, and share with people, Lord, that they may hear you speaking through them and that they may see your countenance, Lord, on their faces of this team. Lord, we just pray that you'd use them in a vital way to encourage uh, our pastors there, Sergio and Nancy and the entire church. Bless Carlos and Olivia as they give leadership to this team and, and all the others who've been building in and making plans for this team. Lord, bless those plans and just use them beyond our wildest dreams. We ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's just thank them for their sacrifice. Amen. As you leave today, you can pick up a little prayer card with a team member's face on it. You can pray for them during this whole week. And uh, they'll be there April 1 through 6. So let's pray for them and keep lifting them up. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you today, to John chapter 3. I'm going to share one of God's uh, most uh, memorized scriptures. It's going to be our base text this morning, but we're going to share a lot of scripture today. 
You know, when most Americans hear the word Easter, their first thought is three days off. Amen? <laughs> Let's go to the river. It's warming up in the desert. Let's go to Glamis. Let's get out the sand rail. When most Americans hear Easter, it's three days off. Let's go. But when Christ followers hear the word Easter, their first thought is the day that Jesus Christ moved from death to life. That day that Jesus moved from his tomb to life once again. He made a move on that day that was a life-changing move. Now, when I think of that move, it reminds me of a move that my great-grandpa Perry once made. Now, my great-grandpa Perry was the champion checker player of Henry County, Iowa. Anybody ever play the game of checkers? You know, little black and red, yeah. He was the champion checker player of Henry County, Iowa. And here's a picture of him. Here's Grandpa Perry over here. And here's my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Everett Mendenhall, and my dad, Harold. And there's me. Once upon a time, I was kind of cute. <laughs> but anyway, there's four generations of Mendenhalls there. And as a boy, I would go play checkers with my great-grandpa Perry. And one day, I got this champion checker player down to one checker. I had three. He only had one left. And I was so excited. But somehow, he got that one checker all the way across to my side of the board. And if you played the game, you know that that's when he can say, king me. And he can, you have to stack one of his checkers. You'd already taken off the board on top of that one checker. And then that king has more power to do more things. Well, I had him surrounded. I had three. He had one. I had him. And I knew I had the champion checker player. But the king had one more move. And with that move, he overcame me, and he wiped me off the board and won. You see, I had forgotten the power of the king. <laughs> now listen close. 2,013 years ago on a Friday morning, those who opposed Jesus thought they had him. They not only had him surrounded, they had crucified him. They had put him down for good. He was dead. He was now laying on a stone slab in a tomb. The tomb was sealed shut. Guards were in front of it. They had him. He was down for the count. But Jesus, God, had one more move. He had one more move. And on Sunday, this day that we call Easter, Jesus came alive. In that tomb, he stood up. And he moved out of that tomb. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Jesus who had come to be God, the light. Jesus who had come to be God, the lamb that would be slain for the sins of our world. Was now revealing who he really was. That he is God, the Lord. That he is king above all kings. That he is Lord above all lords. That he is God, the risen Lord. Amen. Amen. You're a lot more awake than the first crowd. Amen. But why did Jesus make that move? Why did he move from death to life? He had been beaten beyond recognition. Why didn't he just stay down? Well, Jesus made that move to make a way for all of us who would believe in him to also come alive again like him and that we could live with him in heaven after we die, 
forever and ever. Folks, this Easter is about celebrating that move of Jesus who is God, the risen Lord. Amen? He is the Lord of all. And so I want to talk about this morning, why did he do it? Why did he come to life again? Look at this, John chapter 3. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to make a way for whoever believes in him that they might have life and be able to enter God's holy heaven. Now, the Gallup poll says that 88% of all Americans say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus was a historical figure, that he really lived, that he really died, that he taught some good things. I believe that Jesus really lived. But the truth is, not everyone who claims to believe in Jesus is a true believer. In fact, listen to what Jesus says right here. He says, not everyone who calls me their Lord will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones who obey my Father in heaven will get in. What's he saying? He's saying, well, you can't tell if a person is a true believer by what he says. There will be a lot of people that have learned Christian language, Christian lingo. A lot of people will say, Lord, Lord, I believe in you. But he says, you can't always believe what people say. Some will learn to talk the talk. But not everybody learns to walk the walk. Amen? You've met people like that. Oh, they know the Bible frontwards and backwards. They know all the Christian things to say, but you look at their lives and they're not walking like Jesus. We've all met people like that. So Jesus is saying, don't look at what people say. Look at what they do because what they do is what they believe. The truth is this, how you behave really shows what you really believe. In fact, the Bible says if you're a believer, it changes the way you behave. You are different once you invite Christ into your life. The Bible says if people say they have faith, if they say they believe, but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. Can a faith like that save them? Well, the answer is no, it can't. How you behave reveals what you believe. Now, I think there's at least three kinds of people in life. There are saints and stumblers and seekers. Now, saints are those who really believe in Jesus, and they behave like Jesus. Now, they're not perfect. They, they mess up once in a while, but they're very consistent. Most of the time, they're behaving like Jesus. Those are saints. Stumblers are those who think they believe in Jesus, but they don't behave like him. Mostly, they live for themselves, and they behave much different than Jesus. Seekers are those who haven't yet made up their minds about Jesus. They're, they're interested in him. They want to know about him, but they certainly don't behave like him. It's kind of like, you know, have you watched the new series on TV right now called The Bible? Anybody been watching that on the History Channel? Yeah, the ratings are out the roof. People all over the nation are, are watching that series. You see, a lot of people are interested in Jesus, but they don't want to behave like him. And so most all of us fit into one of these categories. We believe and behave like him, or we think we believe, but we don't behave like him, or we're still checking him out. 
Well, this Easter, I want you to know what it really means to believe in Jesus. Because, listen, it will impact your life whether you want it to or not. It will impact your last move. It'll impact your move whether it's to heaven with eternal God or not. It'll impact your last move. In fact, Jesus says... Whoever believes in me will not perish, but instead they'll have everlasting life in heaven. Folks, I want you in heaven. God wants you in heaven. I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. I want your last move to be to heaven. So this Easter, I want to answer this question as clearly as I can. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Write this down. First of all, it means you will follow his example. In other words, you'll begin to really behave like Lord Jesus. You'll you'll live like he lived. Now, everybody follows the example of somebody. Somebody wants to be a great ball player. So they said, man, I'm going to be like Kobe. I love the Lakers. I'm going to be like Kobe. Or somebody says, I want to be a great singer. Jennifer Hudson, I'm following her. Carrie Underwood, man, I'm going to model my life after her. You know, I want to build a great business. I want to make lots of money. Warren Buffett, you're my guy. I'm modeling after you. Or maybe it's a parent you've really looked up to. But the trouble is this. No matter who you follow, that person at some time in their life, they're going to mess up. They're going to blow it because they're not perfect. And if you're following their example, you're going to mess up and you're going to blow it. You see, Jesus is the only one who never blew it. He never sinned. He never messed up. And Jesus says, you will be blessed whenever you follow me. All throughout the Bible, Jesus went around saying to people, follow me, follow me, follow me. 21 times in the Bible, Jesus says, follow me. Now, he didn't say follow a pastor. He didn't say follow a church. He didn't say follow a list of Christian rules. He said, follow me, behave like me. Now, I want you to get this. You can't follow somebody unless you know them. And you really can't follow Jesus Christ. You can't really behave like him until you really get to know him. But once you have a relationship with him, then the benefits of knowing him begin to flood into your life. And here's a couple of benefits. First of all, if you follow him, you get clarity. You get clarity in your life. Maybe your life today is filled with some confusion. Maybe you don't know which step to take next. Maybe you just are kind of saying, God, what's up with life? I don't get it. But when you come to Jesus, you begin to get clarity. Your life begins to make sense. It becomes more clear. Jesus says it this way. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling around in darkness because you will have the light, me, that leads to life. Have you ever felt like you've just been stumbling around? Not really sure where to go, what to do? Well, that means one thing. That means you're not really following Jesus. Because when you follow him, he, the light, makes your life clear. You get clarity. Second thing you get is this. You get stability. Real stability. In other words, you get a solid foundation on which to build your life. Now, here in California, we know the value of having a solid foundation. We live in earthquake country. Amen? You don't want to amen that? 
We, we live in earthquake country, and we know the value of a really solid foundation. And we know if you don't build on a solid foundation, your home's going to crack up or it's going to fall down when that earthquake begins to shake. Jesus told a story about two guys that were building houses. One guy was building his house on sand. The other built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, the guy who built his house in the sand, he watched his house fall. But the guy who built his house on the, the rock watched his house stand. Folks, you've got to have a strong foundation because the storms of life are going to come. They're going to hit you. They're going to hit you hard. And sometimes they're going to last really long. And so you've got to have a strong foundation. And some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. Maybe it's a financial storm. Maybe it's a marital storm. Maybe it's a relationship thing with your kids. Maybe it's a health thing. You're in a storm. The question is, who's going to give you the ability to stand when the storm comes? Your foundation. If you've got a rock-solid foundation, you will stand. But if you haven't built on the rock, on the solid rock, you will fall apart. Jesus says, all who listen to my instructions and follow them are wise like a man who builds his house on a solid rock. When you follow the example of Jesus, you are building on a rock-solid foundation. Your life will become more clear, and you're going to have stability in the midst of your storms. If you believe in Jesus, first of all, it means that you follow his example. Nobody else. You say, Jesus, you're my guy. Jesus, I'm following you. Second, it means if you believe in Jesus that you accept his grace. Now, what's grace mean? Well, the Bible says those who accept God's full grace and the gift being made right with him will surely have true life and rule through Jesus Christ. What is grace? Well, grace is when God does something for you that you just don't deserve. Grace is when God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. I mean, if I got what I deserved, I'd be dead. I'd be wiped off the planet. Anybody with me? Oh, you're all perfect. <laughs> You've never sinned. We, we would all be wiped off the planet if we got what we deserved. We don't understand grace. Because we're a culture that doesn't give a lot of grace. And so it's hard for us to understand how God can give us who have sinned against him grace upon grace upon grace. But he does. But we're kind of like this guy I heard about who was an umpire for a men's baseball league. And this guy, this umpire was speeding down the freeway one day and a policeman stops him and gives him a ticket. And this guy, the umpire, begs the officer for grace, but it was no deal. The officer said, man, if you don't like this ticket, you can just go to court. You can contest it. Bye. Well, at the first game of the season, the guy who got the ticket was umpiring. First batter up was the policeman who gave him the ticket. <laughs> the umpire said, I recognized him and he recognized me. The policeman asked, well, how'd that thing with your ticket go? And the umpire looked at him and said, you just better swing at everything. <laughs> we don't know how to give grace. <laughs> and we think that God's grace is limited. But we're that kind of culture that says, you didn't let me off the hook. I'm not letting you off the hook. 
But God gives you grace every second of your life. Everything you have, your freedom, your life, your friends, your health, your job, your body, the air we breathe, they're all a flat-out gift of grace from God. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, what about the money I earn? Well, who, who do you think gave you the ability to even earn it? You got it from God. But the most important gift of grace that God gives us is forgiveness. And God says, I will forgive you of everything you have ever done wrong, even though I know you don't deserve it. But if you'll just believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, I'll forgive you. Folks, that is grace. And the Bible says this. Now, God says that he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way by coming to Christ no matter who we are or what we've been like. That means your past behavior does not matter. God is going to say to you, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to use the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, to wash you and make you whiter than snow. I'm going to declare you not guilty. I'm going to give you a second chance. Folks, that is God's grace. And all of God's church said, amen. That's a holy God giving unholy you and me grace, something we don't deserve. So how do you get that grace from God? We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's only one way to get God's grace. You simply admit, God, I need it. And I will accept your gift of grace. That's the only way you get it. You swallow your pride and say, God, I need you. Heaven's perfect. You're perfect. I'm not. There's not a chance that I'm going to make it into heaven because I'm not perfect. And you only let the perfect into heaven. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need your grace. Folks, that's called humility. And that's how you get God's grace. The Bible says it this way. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you will never get in. What does a child do when a child needs help? What did my kids do? What do your kids do? What do my grandkids do? Daddy, Grandpa, help. I need help. Help me. And that's all God wants us to do. He wants us to come to him and say, Daddy, God, help me. I don't deserve heaven. There's no way I'm getting in. I blow it. But help me. And that's when the grace of God comes upon you. Just admit it in the simplicity of a child. If you believe in Jesus, it means you follow his example not somebody else, you accept his wonderful gift of grace, and third, write this down, then it means you begin to invest your life. You invest your life. Now, you have three choices in this life with what you can do with your life. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. And if you want to waste your life, man, I can tell you lots of ways to waste your life. If you want to spend your your life away, I can tell you lots of ways to spend it. You can spend your whole life just making money and storing up possessions until you have to you know, move in, into your garage and your cars can't be in your garage anymore. Until you have to rent a a storage space because there's no room in your garage. And and you just keep storing up stuff and renting more space. Or you can spend your life chasing after pleasure. You can spend your life going after power and popularity, trying to be famous. There are a lot of ways you can spend your life. But the purpose of life is not to spend it by piling up power and possessions. 
The greatest things in life, folks, aren't things. Have you figured that out yet? Man, you want something so bad. Remember last time you bought a new car? First week, somebody dinged the door. You go, man. The things of life get broken. They, they get dinged. They rot. They rust. The greatest things in life aren't things. Jesus didn't come to earth and die on the cross to pay for your sins just so you could go to heaven when you die, but that you too would invest, like him, your life in the only thing that will last, and that's other people. Amen? Amen. It's only people that are going to last for all eternity. The Bible says, give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, for you have been saved from death, and now you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His good purposes. I can tell you the greatest thrill in life is to be used as a tool in the hands of God to accomplish His purposes, which is helping people come to believe in Jesus helping them receive his gift of grace, helping them move and make a life-changing move towards the gift of heaven. There's no thrill that it comes close to that if you get to lead somebody to a relationship with Jesus. That's the difference between success and significance. I got a lot of successful friends. They've made it big. According to what this world says, making it big is all about. But the problem with success is that it doesn't satisfy When you have success, all you want to do is have a little bit more. (laughs) And then you look around, you see that somebody is a little bit more successful than you, and you want to have what they have. You were made for more than success. You were made for a life of significance. But how do you live a life of significance? You invest in the lives of others. Jesus says, to those who use well and invest what they've been given by God, even more will be given to them. But those who are unfaithful with what they've been given, even what little they have will be taken from them. God is saying here, I have made an investment in your life. I created you. I love you. I've given grace to you. I've given you gifts and abilities and a personality and experience and talents. I've made an investment in you, and I want to return on my investment. If you will just use what I've given to you, If you'll just invest in the lives of others, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to bless you more. And you will have a life of not only success, but significance. But one day you're going to stand before God. He's going to ask you a couple questions. And I think the first question is going to be something like this. What did you do with my son that I gave to you? Did you accept him? Did you receive him into your life? Did you follow his example? And then I think the second question is going to be something like this. What did you do with what I gave you? Your gifts, your resources, your talents. Did you invest in anybody's life? You see, that's what Jesus came and did. Remember the stories? He invested in people. And then Easter's really all about the unselfishness of Jesus, isn't it? He gave it all up. He laid his whole life down. For others, for you and me, that we might have our sins washed away and we might live with him forever. He wants us to use what we have to invest in serving others. He wants us to follow his examples. Folks, we live in Southern California. This is a blessed area. Anybody want to agree with that? We live in a blessed area. 
I've been all over the United States. I've been in many, many different countries. And I have never, ever seen an area as blessed as Southern California. And the question is, did God put us here just so that we could become fat cats and spend it all on ourselves? No. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so if you believe in Jesus and you follow his example, like Jesus, you'll begin to invest in others. Instead of spending everything on yourself and all your time and money on yourself, you'll begin to invest in other people and you'll help feed the hungry. You'll help the homeless find a home. You'll begin to take orphans into your household. You'll, be, you'll begin to just minister to people who are hurting. Folks, you'll begin to be like Jesus. He wants us to invest. And so if you believe in him, it means following his example, accepting his gift of grace, and then getting outside ourselves and investing our lives in others. And then next, write this down. It means you trust in his wisdom and strength. You begin to put all of your faith, not in yourself and your own mental understanding, but you begin to trust in his wisdom and his strength. Life gets beyond us, doesn't it? We don't have the power to understand everything. And so the Bible says this, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him for each day's problems too. Live in vital union with him. Are you trusting Jesus to help you with everyday problems? Are you asking for his wisdom to be made known unto you and his strength to become yours? See, some of you are at the end of your rope in some part of your daily life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe your kids are teens and they just got their license and you're about at the end of your rope. They're driving, scaring you to death. It might be your health. It might be the lack of a job. But when you get to the end of your rope, what I want to say to you this morning is this. If you will ask him, Jesus will meet you there. And he will say, trust me. I will lift you up. I will give you wisdom. I will give you strength. And you need both in this life. Amen? Amen. You need wisdom beyond your own. You need strength and power beyond your own. And when you are at the end of your rope, God will give you his wisdom and show you what to do. He'll give you his power and show you how to walk through this thing you're in. The Bible says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When it comes to your life, when the worst comes your way, you need to understand that God is going to use it for good. You may not understand it, but if you will just trust Jesus, he will give you, even in the worst of your times, his wisdom, wisdom beyond your own, his strength, strength beyond your own, to help you through that time. The Bible says, Paul writes, I have the strength to face all conditions. Look at that, all conditions by the power, not his own, the power. That Christ gives me, he says. If you believe in Jesus, you follow his example, accept his grace, invest your life in other people, trust in his wisdom and his strength for your life. And last, it means you hold on to his promises. In the Bible, did you know that there's over 7,000 different promises that God makes to you and me? Promises like, I will provide for you, I'll give peace to you, I'll give strength and power to you. 7,000 promises. I want to encourage you to get into God's word. Read them. Memorize them. Hold on to those promises when life hits you hard. The Bible says this, and I love this. God can't break his word. Say that first phrase with me. Here we go. 
God can't break his word. So we who have trusted our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Never let go of God. Don't let go of his word. Don't let go of his promises. God is not willing to let go of you. So don't you let go of God. Amen? Amen. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, the Bible says this, nothing will ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, the demons can't, our fears about today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we're high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may try to make God stop loving you. You may run from Him. You may rebel against Him. But you can never make God stop loving you because His love isn't based on what you do. His love is based on who you who he is. God is love. Now, maybe people have stopped loving you at some time, but God has never stopped loving you. He loves you so much that he wants you to live forever with him and his family in heaven. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus is talking, I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live again. He is given eternal life for believing in me, and she shall never perish. The Bible says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. Boy, isn't that the best retirement plan ever? And that future starts now. That future starts the minute you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. Forgive your sins and begin living in your life. You say, well, how do I get this new life? How do I take that step? Well, it's very simple. You just get it by believing in Jesus. How do you believe in Jesus? You follow his his example. You accept his gift of grace. Begin to invest your life in others. You trust in his wisdom and strength for daily life. And you hold on to his promises, knowing that he loves you. That's what it means to believe in Jesus God, our risen Lord. Amen? Amen. On this day, Easter, 2,013 years ago, Jesus, who is God the Lord, made a game-changing move. He moved out of his tomb, a place of darkness and death, defeat, and he overcame Satan and sin and death once for all time. And I want to say to you this morning, you can too. If you've not made that move, you can move toward Jesus. You can move into life eternal. You can live now and forever by the power of Jesus, who is God the Lord. He is not just God the light. He's not only God the lamb. He is God the risen Lord. And because he came to life again, so can you. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can live now and forever by his power. Jesus can roll back the stone that's keeping you locked in darkness and death. And maybe you've tried to roll back the stone. You've tried to change your old ways. And you keep falling back into your old ways. But Jesus, if you come to him and put your trust in him, he can roll back that stone that you've never been able to roll back 
and he can make you come to life. And even if you feel dead right here and now, he can bring you to life and he can set you free and you can really, really live. Amen? Amen. You can change. This world tells you you can't. Satan tells you you can't. But you can change by the power of a risen Lord. I encourage you on this Easter 2013 to have that same kind of resolve to change. Whether you've never invited Christ into your life or whether you have, but you really haven't been following his example and you know that you know that you know that you really need to repent of your sin and return to him with that same kind of resolve and decisiveness, would you ask Jesus to change you and make you ready for that last move of your life? If you'd like to do that, pray this prayer as I pray it. In your heart, pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I choose today to believe in you. Thank you for dying to pay for my sins. Thank you for overcoming death once for all. I believe in you. I will follow your example. I will accept your gift of grace. Forgive me. I will begin to invest my life in others. I will trust your wisdom and strength in my hard times. I will hold on to your promises. Forgive me for all my sin. Come live in me, Lord Jesus. Father, it thrills my heart to know that your word tells us that whenever we place our belief in Jesus, we shall be saved. We've learned what that means this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help each person as we leave this place and as we continue to celebrate Easter, that you would give them a sense that they are ready to make that last move. A sense that you love them more than they ever realized before. Lord, thank you for your presence with us. Bless us now as we go. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.